Today we continue our study in 1 Peter. We began this study last week, and Peter's focus in that first message was on hope. He was writing to Christians who were suffering because of their faith, and he uses the word suffer 16 times in this letter. So he was attempting to encourage these believers who were suffering. How did he do that? By reminding them, first of all, that their salvation was provided by the Holy Trinity. He said, God the Father has chosen you. Jesus the Son has purchased your salvation when he died on the cross paying for your sin. And the Holy Spirit has sanctified you. And then in chapter 1, verse number 4, he reminded them that their inheritance as believers was secure. He said, the inheritance that we have is not perishable. It does not fade away. It is reserved in heaven for you. It is guarded by God. So when we began this series last week, the focus was on hope. Today, the focus is on holiness. Now, I know when you use that word that it causes some people to become uncomfortable. It ought not, because the word simply means separated, set apart, different. So to be holy, then, means that we are different. Not odd, but different. It means that we are different from the way we were before we became believers. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. So what the Bible says is that when we become believers, that we are different than the way we were before we were believers. Certainly that was true with the Apostle Paul. Before he became a follower of Christ, he persecuted the church. But then after becoming a follower of Christ, he became a preacher of the gospel. His life was different. Matthew's life was different. Before he became a follower of Christ, he was a tax collector. After he became a follower of Christ, his life was different and he became a disciple. John Newton's life was different. Before he followed after Jesus, he was a slave trader. But then he met Christ and his life was changed. And John Newton, the slave trader, became a preacher of the gospel and the author of the hymn, Amazing Grace. Billy Sunday's life was different when he came to Jesus. According to his own testimony, he left a bar, walked across the street into the Pacific Garden Mission, and met Jesus. And he said, I staggered out of my sins into the outstretched arms of the Savior. I became instantly a new creature in Him. So when we talk about holiness, it means that we are different. That we are different from the way that we were before we came to Christ, and that we are different than unbelievers. Now, I know studies have revealed there is very little difference today between those people who say they are Christians and those who say they are not Christians. But we are supposed to be different. That's what holiness is. So today we look at steps to holiness. Take your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll pick up where we left off last time in verse number 13. Therefore gird your minds for action. 
Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay upon earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ." For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Now, what we're going to do today is to look at steps to holiness. Because, ladies and gentlemen, if you are a believer, you are to live a holy life. So how can we? Well, step number one is that we look for his return. Look at verse number 13. Therefore, gird your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Christ Jesus. Now, then, if we live our lives in anticipation of the return of Christ, that is going to move us to holiness. If you live your life fully expecting the return of Christ, it will move you towards holiness. Now then, he says, so fix your hope completely. The word completely that is used there literally means perfectly, absolutely. In other words, it is not a half-hearted commitment. That we are to fix our hope on Jesus Christ and His return completely, fully expecting Him to come and committed to His return. Well, that always raises a question, doesn't it? If I am to fix my hope completely, if I am to totally give my life to Jesus Christ, will it be worth it? Isn't that a legitimate question? If I am asked to wholly, completely give my life to Christ, fixing my hope on Him, will it be worth it? You see, that was the question of Simon Peter. In fact, the Bible says in Matthew 19, 27, Then Peter answered and said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you what then will there be for us? Jesus, we've left everything to follow after you. What do we get? Jesus, we have forsaken all to become your disciples. What will be for us? Isn't that a question that is legitimate? When we are asked by the Lord, when we are told by his word that we are to completely follow after him, will it be worth it? I mean, after all, if I, if I understand correctly, the Bible says that if I become a follower of Christ, then I'm supposed to, to be faithful in, in my church attendance. I'm supposed to live a holy life, though others are not. I'm supposed to give some of my money to the, to the kingdom. Is it worth it? Is it really worth it? 
Well, Jesus said it was. In fact, he responded to Peter's question in Matthew 20, uh, 19, 29, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mothers or children or farms for my name's sake shall receive many times as much and shall inherit eternal life. So Jesus did not scold Peter for asking the question, but he said to his question, Peter, it will be worth it. The Apostle Paul said that it would be worth it in Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So Paul says, will it be worth it? Yes. So he tells us that we are to fix our hope completely on the grace to be brought. Now that's interesting. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought. That is in the present tense, which means it's guaranteed it's on the way. The hope that is to be brought, there's no question about it as far as God is concerned. Present tense, it is on the way. When it comes, it is going to be totally satisfied. And then in verse number 13, therefore, gird your mind's fraction. Now, Peter describes the mind that is focused completely on Christ. Now, this is, and we're, we're talking about the mind here and the spiritual mind. And he says, let me describe for you the mind that is completely focused on Christ. He said, first of all, that it is a disciplined mind. The word gird that is used means to pull your thoughts together. Gird your mind. Pull your thoughts together. That's a picturesque word. Barclay said, in the East, men wore long flowing robes, which hindered fast progress or strenuous action. Around the waist, they wore a broad belt or girdle. And when strenuous action was necessary, they shortened the long robe by pulling it up within the belt in order to give them freedom of movement. So he is speaking here of a disciplined mind, that we are to discipline our mind. That means we reject negative thoughts, critical thoughts, sensual thoughts. Now, he's talking about our mind here, and he says that we are to have a, a disciplined mind. We reject negative thoughts, and we cultivate positive thoughts. Now, how do we do that? Peter says by focusing on the fact that Jesus is coming back. If you live your life anticipating the return of Jesus Christ, then it changes your thought life. And so Peter says that we focus our attention on the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again. And then Paul tells us how to do it in Philippians chapter 4, verse number 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. So he says you're to have a disciplined mind. You are to discipline your mind. And then he says we are to have a controlled mind. There again in verse number 13, keep sober in spirit. The word sober means to be calm, steady, controlled. And it speaks of balance in thinking, that our thinking is to be balanced, our mind is to be balanced. See, here's the problem we have. We are citizens of heaven, but our residence is on earth. And sometimes we get out of balance. There are those who say that, you know, we sometimes can become so heavenly minded that we are of no earthly good. And sometimes we are so earthly minded that we are of no heavenly good. 
So he's talking here about balanced in your thinking. Now, an example of that has to be the Thessalonians. The, the Thessalonian Christians believed that Jesus was coming again, and some of them were so committed to that thought, to that idea that Christ was coming again, that they decided they would quit their jobs, and they would simply sit down and wait for the return of Christ. So they were expecting the church to meet all of their needs, to feed them, to clothe them, to take care of them. And they, ju- they were just waiting on the return of Christ. Now, that Paul was responding to that when he says, if you don't work, you don't eat. See, they were out of balance. So he is saying that our mind, our thinking, is to be balanced. So we are to have a disciplined mind, we are to have a controlled mind, and we're to have an optimistic mind. Again, in verse number 13, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, folks, it is hope that causes us to persevere. It is hope that causes an athlete to endure practice Because he or she has hopes of winning the game. It is hope and optimism that causes the student to study because they expect to make good grades. And it is optimism, it is hope that causes us to look for the return of Jesus Christ. We believe Christ is coming again. And so that gives us optimism in our thinking. So he says, number one, a step towards holiness is to look for his return. We live our lives looking for the return of Jesus. Number two, obey our Heavenly Father. Obedience to God also leads us to holiness. Now, he says that formerly we were children of disobedience. Look at verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. Now, he is describing here the life without Christ, the life before Christ. A life of disobedience. And he says that it was a life of ignorance. I think what Paul is referring to is that there was tremendous ignorance concerning spiritual things in the ancient world. They just did not have an understanding of the things of God, largely. And so Plato said, it is hard to investigate and to find the framer and the father of the universe... And if one did find him, it would be impossible to express him in terms which all could understand. Aristotle spoke of God as being the supreme cause by all men dreamed of and by no man known. So that's what that's what Peter is speaking of here. He said it was a life of ignorance. It was a life of desire. Former life was a life of lust. The ancient world was known for its fleshly desires. In fact, I had, I was doing some research and read this article. Speaking of that ancient world, there was desperate poverty at the lower end of the social scale. But at the top we read of banquets which cost thousands of pounds, where peacock's brains and nightingale's tongues were served. And where the emperor Vitellius set on the table at one banquet 2,000 fish and 7,000 birds, chastity was forgotten. Marshall speaks of a woman who had reached her tenth husband, juvenile of a woman who had, her, who had eight husbands in five years. Jerome tells us that in Rome there was one woman who was married to her 23rd husband, Homosexual practices were so common that they had come to be looked on as natural. 
It was a world mastered by desire whose aim was to find newer and wilder ways of gratifying its lust. Now, that is a description of the former life of the ancient world. Not much different, is it? It sounds to me like that just came out of the newspaper. But he says that's the way we were before Christ. It was a life of futility. Life of desire, life of ignorance, life of futility. Ladies and gentlemen, life without God has no meaning. How, how can you have meaning if you're simply the result of a cosmic accident? It has no purpose. Without God, life really has no purpose. What are you doing here? I don't know. Has no future. Where are you going? I don't know that either. You see, life without God is a life of futility. So he says that formerly, that's the way we were. We were children of disobedience, but now we are children of obedience. Look at verse number 14 again. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. He is saying there that obedience to God will lead you to holiness. If you are committed to being obedient to God, I want to be obedient to God, then that is going to lead you to holiness. He says that God is holy. We read that on the, uh, on the screen earlier from Revelation, Isaiah chapter 6. He says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. God is holy. What does that mean? Well, it means that he is transcendent. Isaiah said that he is high and exalted. In other words, he stands above it all. God is holy. He stands above it all. Exodus 15:11. Who is like thee among the gods, O Lord? Who is like thee, majestic in holiness? He says, no one's like God. God is holy. He stands above it all. He is majestic and he is morally pure. 1 John chapter 3, verse 5. He appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no Sin. God is sinless. He cannot lie. He does not sin. He is morally pure. He is transcendent, stands above it all. He is morally pure. Now, what Peter says, if God is your God and he is holy, what are you supposed to be? I'm hoping somebody's catching on here. What are you supposed to be? Holy. Ladies and gentlemen, holiness is not just a doctrine of the church. It is to be the characteristic of the believer. You are to be holy. God, our Father, is holy. He is transcendent. He is morally pure. And he says that we are to be holy. So, if we obey our Heavenly Father, that leads us to holiness. Number three, observe his word. Verse number 16. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You see, we are to approach life by asking the question, what does Scripture say? And the Word of God convicts us of sin. It did the Israelites. When Nehemiah came, assembled the Israelites together, took the Word of God and read the Word of God, the Bible says that they were convicted of sin. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse number 8 and 9, And they read from the book from the law of God, for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. The Bible will bring conviction of sin. The Scripture says in Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. 
Do you think that might be the reason that we have abandoned the Word of God? Because it brings conviction. It's been interesting to me, you have, uh, to watch the unfolding of the, uh, the, uh, the campaign for South Carolina is so gay. And I've been reading that, and I'm sure you've been reading about it as well. And the thing that is interesting to me is it is being discussed back and forth. They, are, they, are, they, they talk about the economic uh, issues. They talk about the tolerance issues. But nobody talks about the Word of God. What does God's Word say? You see, the Word of God brings conviction, so we like to set it aside. And we like to have our own opinion. What does our opinion say? What does everyone else say? What is politically correct? Well, that's not the question. The question is, what does the Word of God say? The Word of God brings conviction of sin. It cleanses us. The Scripture says in Ephesians 5:26, Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, if we fill our minds with the Word of God, we have clean thoughts. And if we have clean thoughts, we live clean. It strengthens us as we spend time in the Word of God. It strengthens us and we become holy. So step number three, observe His Word. Do you really want to be holy? Maybe that's the question. Gets a little tough, doesn't it? Observe the Word of God. Number four, anticipate the judgment. Verse number 17. And if you address as Father, the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear, fear during the time of your stay upon earth. Now, God is merciful. We know that, don't we? God is a merciful God. He is loving. Folks, I'm overwhelmed by the fact that God loves me. I do not understand it. Why in the world would God love you? I don't know. Why would he love me? We understand that God is loving and that he is long-suffering. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Now, that's God's will. God loves you, and he is long-suffering. But we would not be truthful if we did not say there was another side to the coin. You see, on this side of the coin, God is loving and he is long-suffering. If you ever wonder as to whether or not God loves you, just look to the cross because that is God's love for you. So God loves you. On this side, the Bible tells us that God is just. And Hebrews 12:29 says, our God is a consuming fire. So there is judgment. Well, if I live my life anticipating the judgment of God, that one day I'm going to stand before the throne of God, do you think that would make you to be a little more holy? Yeah. If we really believe that one day I'm going to answer to God, one day I'm going to stand before God, one day I'm going to stand before the God of gods, that pushes us towards holiness. And then step number five, we cherish his love. He is our emancipator. Look at verse number 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. 
You know what the Bible says about us? It says before Jesus we were slaves to sin. You and I were enslaved to sin, but what did Jesus do? He redeemed us. He set us free. He paid for our sins when He died on Calvary, so He ransomed us with His blood. And then He is the triumphant Lord. Look at verse 21. Who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. He is the triumphant Lord who lives and is coming again. So, what are the steps to holiness? The Bible says that we are to be holy, so what are the steps? Well, according to Peter, first of all, we look for his return. We live our lives anticipating the return of Jesus Christ, that he is coming again. Number two, he says, obey the Father. That in that formerly, we live lives of disobedience. But presently, we live lives of obedience. We obey the Father. Three, he said, observe his word. Get in the word of God. Because it convicts us of sin, it cleanses us of sin, and it strengthens us. Four, anticipate the judgment that one day we're going to give an account. And five, we cherish his love. The fact that he loves us. Folks, the Bible says that we are to be holy. Now, we sing the songs, and we teach the doctrine, but it's more than music. It's more than a teaching. It is to be characteristic of your life that you are to be holy if you're a child of God. Are you? Are you growing in holiness? Do you desire holiness? Peter gives us the steps to holiness. Our Father, we come to you as we examine our lives and allow the Holy Spirit to examine our lives. I pray, Father, for those who have never come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and they're still unforgiven in their sin. Lord, I pray that they might understand today how very much you love them, that they might come for salvation, committing their lives to Jesus. I pray, Father, for believers that we might be said to be holy. Our God is holy and that we live lives of holiness. I pray, Father, for decisions, commitments that need to be made today that they will. In Christ's name, amen. Well, in just a moment, we'll...